we continue in Romans chapter 11. Let me read uh, some of the verses that we're interested in looking at. We'll pick up where we left off at verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, and you stand only by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Let's pray. Father, we ask your help as we continue studying what Paul has to say here in the book of Romans. We ask that you would make it clearer than our own abilities would allow. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, as only he can be. And we pray that we would stop and realize that the problems that we're dealing with today, at least in part, are no different than they were part and parcel to the Roman Empire some 2,000 years ago. We ask these things and pray your help in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we've heard a lot in the news over the last couple of years is the, quote, racial problems of America. That's sad on a, a number of different levels. But let's just accept the fact that maybe some of what we've heard about is true. But the reality is some of what we're experiencing today is no different than what Paul was experiencing back in the Roman Empire in around the 60s AD when he's writing this particular letter. The racial differences, though, weren't so much skin color as they were ethnicity. And particularly, Paul is writing as a Jewish man who has become a Christian. And the hostility was primarily a hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Now again, when we read the Bible, we need to understand that there's Jews, okay? The Jews are descendants of the Israelites. The Israelites are the people that God brought out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness experience, appointed kings and prophets, eventually became known as the Jews. And during the time of Christ, the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, 
they're pretty much going through the motions of religion. They're traditionalists. What I mean by traditionalists in terms of how they worship God, how they practice their religion, was a lot like many churches today. They go through the motions. They're not really worshiping God. They're not really humbling their hearts. They're doing liturgies. They're doing prayers. They're taking offering plates. They're doing communion or mass. But their heart isn't really interested in loving God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're not really interested in loving their neighbor as themselves. They're interested more in checking the box of, this is what I did for God this week. That's what I mean by a traditionalist, okay? What Paul is talking about, he's in a section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, and we've said this before, but we'll say it again, in which he's building a case, and the case is to prove God has not abandoned Israel. However, that said, we need to clarify what God has done, and therefore we need to define some things better than just allow them to be spoken of on their face. What I mean, for example, when he talks about Israel, he opens the section in 9, 10, and 11 this way. He says, by the way, not all Israel is Israel. What does that mean, Paul? He says, not all of Israel, that is ethnic, national Israel, is the Israel of God. Who is the Israel of God? The Israel of God are in fact descendants of Abraham, but not strictly physical descendants of Abraham. Jesus made that clear in John chapter 8. You remember, I've preached on this before. In John chapter 8, there were individuals who called themselves descendants of Abraham who wanted to kill Jesus. And he said, Abraham isn't your father. You may be a physical descendant of Abraham, but you aren't Abraham's progeny. You're not Abraham's children. Only those with Abraham's faith. In fact, those with Abraham's faith are spiritual Israel. Not national Israel, not ethnic Israel. Only those with Abraham's faith are descendants of Abraham. If you don't have Abraham's faith, you're not a child of Abraham. And if you don't have Abraham's faith, then you will never believe in the Messiah, and therefore you're not a child of God, even if you call yourself a Christian. You see, a person doesn't become a Christian simply by calling themselves a Christian. A person becomes a Christian by hearing what the good news is and then bowing in humble obedience to what God has said to ask God to forgive them of their sins, turn from their sins, and trust in Jesus as their only hope of salvation. 
not by going to church, not by, you know, being the one that gives the most money in the plate, not by having perfect attendance in Sunday school, not by being somebody that was raised by Christian parents. All of those things have their place. Not by being either a pastor's daughter or a pastor's wife, as in the case of Rose back there. Her dad was a pastor. Her husband was a pastor. That doesn't make Rose a Christian. What made Rose a Christian was Rose believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Rose believes on the Lord Jesus Christ because God changed her heart and gave her grace to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus specifically died for her. That's what makes a person a Christian. And Paul, in this section of Romans, is talking to a church that is primarily made up of Gentiles. And he's addressing the problem, the problem being, again, a situation in which the question is, well, if God really cares about his people, how is it that most of his people aren't believers in the Messiah. Paul, Jesus has come and gone. Paul, face reality. You know, you may be the apostle to the Gentiles, but these churches that you are the apostle of and that you've helped establish with Timothy and Titus and you've set leadership in place, they're nothing big deal. They're little churches. They're house churches. Their churches, for the most part, probably wouldn't have been a whole lot bigger than our little group here. They weren't thousand-people churches. Part of the reason for that was they were often meeting in secret. Why were they meeting in secret? Because, again, think of the time. It's 65, 66 A.D., somewhere in the 60s. Who's in charge? The Roman Empire. What do the Romans believe? Caesar is God. You bow the knee to Caesar. We don't want you bowing the knee to this Jesus. We're not interested in that kind of competition. Oh, we tolerate the Jews because the Jews are nothing. And they did. They tolerated the Jews. But if you were a Christian, you were marked. They wanted you eliminated. What are we going to do? We're going to take the Christians and throw them to the lions in the arena, in the Colosseum. That was very real. Part of the reason was they didn't want the Christians around. Why didn't they want them around? They didn't want them around because we're not bowing to Caesar. We have one God. We don't bow, but we don't have any other gods before him. The Jews, they are accommodating. Why are they accommodating? Because by and large, they're traditionalists. But I want to add to what we read already and turn your attention also to Ephesians chapter 2, because there we have a bit of a clue as to what Paul is saying. And in Ephesians 2, he says this. Beginning at verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, 
who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, is making a distinction. Gentile, you're uncircumcised. Jews, you're circumcised. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mentioned this last week, but let me mention it again. Roll the clock back. 2,000 years ago, go back even further, 2,100 years ago, you would never have heard about Jehovah. You would never have been exposed to the Old Testament. Why? You're all Gentiles. You grew up as Gentiles. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew. You would never have heard the books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs. If you heard about them, you wouldn't have had access to them. You wouldn't have had any opportunity to worship Jehovah, for the most part. Oh, occasionally, somebody outside of the commonwealth of Israel was exposed to Israel and Israel's God, but not often. In other words, most everybody in the human race, up until the time of Christ, is excluded from the grace of God. Do you understand that? What that meant was no hope. And you might sit here and say, boy, that wasn't really fair. That wasn't very nice of God. Understand something. Folks, let me say it bluntly. Understand your place. Your place is no different than my place. We are creatures. We don't ever get to say to God, that isn't fair. We don't like that. He doesn't care whether or not we like something. He doesn't consult us in terms of decision-making on that. And his choice was the Jews had all of those prerogatives, gifts and graces, but the Gentile world didn't. No different than today in one sense. In this sense, for example, I want you to think about this for a moment. We have instant access to lots of information in the world. Even though we have instant access to a lot of information in the world, most everybody in the world is presently excluded from the knowledge of God. They don't have the real knowledge of God, do they? They don't. Entire countries are atheistic. China, atheistic. Russia, atheistic. India, by and large, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, not Christian. Quite frankly, many of the people in the United States, what are they? Materialistic. No interest in God. Access to God? Plenty of it. Do they make themselves aware of that access to God? No. And that's the difference. 
back then, if you were not a Jew, you didn't even have access to God. You were one of those people that didn't know the questions to ask. But you didn't know God. So today it's different. Most of the world, most of mankind, doesn't know God. But most of the world doesn't know God because they have no interest in knowing God. And what Paul is trying to address here in Romans is simply this. Here's what happened. Think of God's dealing with his people this way. Here's a natural olive tree. They knew what olive trees were. And the olive tree has a firm root system. And out of that olive tree, branches are growing. But the branches that don't bear fruit, what did Jesus say in John chapter 15? God prunes them, cuts them off, throws them into the fire. <clears throat> in that particular chapter, he's using that particular analogy in direct reference, I think, to Judas, who has just been ushered out of the upper room and told to go do what he must. And Jesus is saying, what happens to the, the olive or the branch that doesn't bear any fruit? God breaks it off, cuts it off. And Paul is saying, that's exactly what's happened to Israel. And the words that he's using, it's like God is violently breaking off branches on this natural olive tree. And now he's taking wild olive branches, people like you, and you, and you, Gentiles. And he's going to carefully graft them into that tree who will then benefit from the root of that tree. When my friend gave me that New Testament, that was one thing to read it. It was quite another thing when I started reading the Old Testament. And I realized that the New Testament is built on the Old Testament. I had a similar experience a few years back when I started going through the book of Revelation. And I was simply amazed that no other book in the New Testament makes reference to the Old Testament as much as the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation makes more references to the Old Testament than any other book. And the only other two books that come close, but not quite, are Matthew and Hebrews. But Revelation, hands down, more direct or indirect references to the Old Testament than any other New Testament book. Revelation is built on the history and the root and the foundation of the Old Testament. So, here you are, and here you are now in Rome, and Paul's writing this letter. And he says, be careful, little flock in Rome, because I want you to understand they got broken off the natural olive tree because of their arrogance and their unbelief. But be careful. God didn't pick you because you were so special. He picked you because he loved you before time. But then he says, if you're arrogant, make no mistake, he'll break you off as well. That's exactly what's being taught here. 
Here's what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is himself our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having been put to death. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. He's saying, I'm making for myself a church, the called out ones, of one people, Jew, Gentile, equal, Jews, you were arrogant. You thought you were better than the Gentiles. I'm going to take the Gentiles and I'm going to graft them into my olive tree. Gentiles, be careful. You see what happened to the Jews? The same thing can happen to you. And don't think that it won't because God's not going to suffer fools at all. If you're foolish and you're arrogant like they were, he'll cut you off as well. And he's building a case for the necessity of humility here. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And then he sums it up this way. And this is so important. And when I talk about the gospel, understand, I I made a statement last week that in most churches that I can think of, or that I've visited over the decades, I think I'd probably not be welcomed in saying something like this. There are two sides of the gospel. There is the great love of God. There is the great severity of God. And Paul is saying as much here. He sums up this whole section by saying this. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell. Severity. Severity in what sense? They're cut off. Lord, how long will they be cut off? Oh, that's for God to decide. Is he going to usher them back in? Some of them, yes. See, all Israel will be saved. But again, all Israel is not national or ethnic Israel. All Israel is the chosen people of God, some of which have not been chosen. But to you, God's kindness qualified this way. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you'll be cut off. When was the last time any of you ever heard a pastor say that? From the pulpit, on a radio program, (coughs) on a commercial? I haven't. I just haven't. Obey and there's blessing. Disobey, God's going to damn you to hell. That's the bottom line. Obey, you're grafted in. You're welcome. Christ isn't ashamed to call you brother, sister. John is able to say, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, 
that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. There's great blessing. Disbelieve, walk away from God. Oh, better you had not been born. Better you had not been born. The severity of God. How does Jesus sum it up? Sums it up this way. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. Not the one who started out and just abandons. You know, in our family today we were talking a little bit about that at lunchtime. Of folks who have started out. And all of a sudden it's like they're not going to church anymore. They're not walking like Jesus walks or wants them to walk anymore. What's up with that? Well, you hope and pray that for a time they've fallen away, but they're going to come back. But too often, I've seen individuals who have fallen away and have never come back. And just proved that they were really never in the faith, perhaps. Anyway, these are the things that I wanted to share with you today. We've gone a little bit long. Again, some of the songs will continue to sing. I especially know that the last one is difficult that we sang, but nevertheless, I hope you got something out of that. Let's pray that God would give us a week in which we're able to serve Him well for His honor and glory, and I trust that He'll give us the health and the safety and the abilities that we need to do to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for Your mercies, which are new every morning. And now we ask that you would keep us from falling, that you would keep us persevering, that you would help us to continue in the faith for those who are already in the faith, and for those who are not, that they would reflect on these things that we've talked about today and take the time to realize that life is short and that there's either mercy and forgiveness or severity to be dealt with. But that choice is theirs. And you have said today that if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Lord, we ask that each one would have a soft heart to receive these things well and the gift and ability to believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.